It's time to think differently about healthcare, but how do we keep up? The days of yesterday's medicine are long gone, and we're left trying to figure out where to go from here. With all the talk about politics and technology, it can be easy to forget that healthcare is still all about humans. And many of those humans have unbelievable stories to tell. Here, we leave the policy debates to the other guys and focus instead on the people and ideas that are changing the way we address our health. It's time to navigate the new landscape of healthcare together and hear some amazing stories along the way. Ready for a breath of fresh air? It's time for your Paradigm Shift. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare, and thank you for listening. I'm Michael Roberts, here today with my co-host, Scott Zeiser. This show is focused on the many ways that healthcare is changing and how the consumerization of healthcare is affecting practices. We talk about this topic on a regular basis at p3practicemarketing.com, and we invite you to be a part of that conversation there. So healthcare is becoming more and more like other consumer-focused businesses, even though we all know there's some striking disparities between those two concepts, right? So this this pandemic has only continued to accelerate the push for consumerization. And, you know, while consumerization can present challenges to practices, those that adapt have the opportunity to create a lot of positive interactions with patients and foster trust and loyalty among their patient base. Patient expectations are changing and practices that don't adapt may ultimately get left behind. I'm saying this, it's just COVID has exacerbated for the better and for the worse, a lot of things. And (laughs) I've had a lot of conversations with friends of mine who've been in practice for a while. And when I say consumerization of healthcare, you get this kind of pained look, you know, on their faces. And uh, on some of the people and then some other people like they get you get this like, you know, wide eyed like, yeah, both will require some heavy lifting. There are changes to be made. And, you know, with habits, habits can be great and habits can be tough to break. And this is a lot of that, you know, so patients, to your point, Michael, they are calling for more consumer focused experience. I mean, that's a fancy way of saying it's like, you know. I don't think you need to treat your patients like you're at Nordstrom's, but we all know, everybody listening to us knows that we've been to see a doctor where you've waited for three hours because of X, or maybe you had to wait, but why couldn't they have called you? I mean, look, orthopedic surgeons, neurosurgeons, et cetera. Sometimes the surgery lasts a little bit longer, but it'd be nice if I was told. I hear that a lot. There is a a study by Symphony RM. 50% have higher expectations, we're talking about patients, for their doctors since COVID-19, 50%. And uh, 23% say their opinion of the doctor has changed since COVID-19. That's a lot. The next one is nearly 20% are considering changing their doctor based on how they handle COVID-19. I wanna warn everybody out there, I've had a lot of conversations with docs, I've got two more bullets to bring up here, that it's really hard to track those that you've lost. A little bit easier, say, for the dentist or for the endocrinologist who's seeing a patient all the time, then all of a sudden they're gone. I get it. But when you talk about practices like an orthopod or a neurosurgeon, it's usually like, hey, you're going to get them to come in and you're going to take care of them, hopefully fix them, and they're on their way. And you're not going to know that they decided not to come back or that they've uh, left because you're either busy or you just never knew. So keep that in mind as you smugly go, like, not me. Uh, The third bullet is patients are feeling that their doctors should have made a greater effort to communicate and felt left behind 
when they felt they did not receive enough information. So that's always been the case. You know, docs are always trying to get in and out, see all their patients, take care of everybody in the same day. Now it's even worse because not only are they in pain, but they're afraid of getting COVID. And that always comes back to Michael. You and I talk about this all the time. Over communicate. Yeah. Right. And we're focusing so much on, you know, just because of the, the business that we're in, we're focusing on how are you getting out to on your website, on your, on your map listings and all of that kind of stuff. How are you making things easier for patients that are coming in that are just getting started? But, you know, a lot of this has to do with not just that kind of communication, but also all the stuff that's happening in the portal, all the all that person to person communication. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about is sort of like a broadcast kind of approach. Put it on your website put it on your map listing, put it on social media, that kind of stuff. But that person-to-person interaction is, is so critical here too. I, I So just to kind of give a window on like where we're at in the world as we're recording this particular episode, Scott, you're in New Orleans. I'm in yes, Tennessee yes. right now. We're yes, <clears throat> like all of us dealing with the, the after effects of Hurricane Ida that, that came through. And so you talk about consumerization the types of experiences that we've had, that my family and I have had just since leaving New Orleans and, and being in different places, how convenient it's been to communicate with hotels and whatever remotely and to be able to do all that kind of stuff online. And these are the experiences that people are having and then comparing to their doctor appointments. Because, well, if I can book all this stuff, if I can do all this stuff. So I'm talking to a family member that's up here in Tennessee And they were just talking about how, well, I don't want to go down to see this doctor in this particular city because, hey, there's a bunch of cases down there. There's a bunch of COVID happening down there. I'd rather stay away. So they're coordinating their care between the big city hospital and some smaller clinics that are are further away. So again, this type of coordination and communication, and they're talking about how great that is, but all of the gaps that are arising, like, well, I didn't hear back from this person. And well, I didn't hear from this. And so all of that sort of normal communication problems that people have, it's now extra because it's not just going to one facility all the time. It, there's multiple clinics involved. There's all these different kind of moving pieces. So the process is getting harder. I mean, I, I think it's like to very much advocate for all the practices and the hospitals and all that kind of stuff, the bar has definitely moved. It's gotten harder, but everybody's expecting that everybody's keeping up. And so fairly or unfairly, patients' expectations are growing pretty substantially. That's the thing. So, you know, as you're talking to me about this, I'm thinking about all these different practices where they're working so hard. So I do want all the patients who are listening to this, practices like they're working hard. They really are, whether that's the surgeon or whether that's the front office staff, et cetera. Like, man, they are just trying to see patients and take care of them as safely as possible. And to all of those practices, I say, I get it. I get that you're pressured. But if you slow down long enough to figure out what you can do a little bit differently to help this whole movement along, it will help you so much and save you so much time. And I will warn you that if you don't, your patients are going to go somewhere else where they are doing it. It is happening. I talked to a surgeon who basically said, you know, I get it. My patients have to work hard sometimes to see me, but, you know, I think I'm worth it. And I think they're, you know, that ultimately they come to see me. 
And my response to that uh, surgeon was, I hope you're right, but I can guarantee you that there are five or six that left. Mm -hmm. And usually that five or six that left, quite frankly, are the people with better paying insurance. So, you know, you got to bear that in mind. I, I always warned all of my customers and friends, value over volume value over volume is going to be a critical win for the health of your practice. And if you're treating everybody just from a volume perspective, I get it, man, you're trying, but I think you're going to end up failing. And I I think that's a critical thing to think about, especially with when you think about it from the perspective of where, as you're saying, Michael, patients are coming from, like they're so scared. COVID's changed that habit. Like I'll do whatever the doc tells me. Nah, not anymore, man. I'm too afraid. Yeah. Whatever the reasoning may be, that recognized authority that that doctors have had historically is, is definitely changing. And it's just always, I think, more and more in question, some because of better information, some because of misinformation, whatever it may be. There's just a variety of challenges that are really coming into that, that space. So, you know, pre-COVID, that lessening of authority was certainly there. And a lot of a lot of my friends, my surgeon friends were really ruining it. You know, like, man, if I have one more person come in talking to me about how magnets are going to cure their arthritis, misinformation. Mm -hmm. I can't understand why they're not doing what I told them to do. It's not a misinformation thing. You're just not the authority. The changing patterns of primary care physicians and other referral patterns coming in to the surgeon. So pre-COVID, all this existed. Now, during COVID, because I used to say post-COVID, but that's a wrong statement on my part. But now that we're in this endemic, I see no reason as to why it's not going to continue this trend at this accelerated level. So you got to be prepared for that. Yeah, for sure. So let's switch gears a little bit just to kind of talk about some more data that came up. There's an article from Fierce Healthcare. The article is entitled, As Healthcare Consumerization Gains Steam, Organizations Must Balance Convenient Service and Quality Care. So yeah, consumers are used to Amazon. They're used to these kinds of other services where you can just order and you can see what's happening and you can know what to expect and you can check on where your delivery is at the entire time and all of those kinds of things, all of that over communication that we're talking about. But that's obviously a very different experience than what a lot of healthcare can be, you know? So like, again, like I definitely want to kind of talk through there's Amazon has in many ways systemized their approach. They've, I won't say perfected it, but they've got a pretty darn good solution on how they've made these things come together. It's very repetitive. It's it's very exact. It's very obvious what the next step is going to be. So it's it's kind of clear when something goes off the track, like how to fix it and how to get it back on. But so much of what practices are dealing with are, yeah, you know, not Amazon, no opening no. up like this whole, you know, what's the diagnosis, what's the treatment option, what is the way that the patient's going to respond? Like all of these different variables that come into this. So, you know, how do practices look at that process and start making things more efficient? And I think the things that, that kind of come to mind at first is just be like, what are the processes and communication that they can kind of give to patients to help them understand what to expect around that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. As you were telling me that, I was thinking uh, that article, it's, it's, it's a lot about, it's an unfair comparison. So Amazon is very good at these repetitive things and the art of medicine, and it's called the art of medicine for a reason. It does require people to slow down, some very smart people to slow down, take a good hard look at what's wrong with the patient and come up with a game plan. And that's never going to change. I mean, you've got to have really 
hardworking, intelligent people working with patients to take great care of them. It's not going to stop. But the people that come up with some sort of system that helps alleviate the mundane repetition that really is there, those are going to be the ones where there are wins. You know, it's like, I get it. You're not going to process patients like Amazon. If, If you do, you're frankly probably not a good doctor. But there's so many things like And a lot of the things that hamper the surgeon, it's like there's a lot of processes that are kind of built on sand. You know, there's got terrible EMR systems where, no, no, they're good at, you know, billing people and they're good at entering data, but they're certainly not very good at helping you communicate with the patient, you know, that kind of conversation. Or we can have an entire show just based on like, oh my God, why why do EMR systems, uh, uh, why are they so bad? in general. And uh, if any EMR uh, salesperson marketer wants to get on board and tell us why their system's so great, give us an email, give us a shout out. In the meantime, I'll say, oof. But it does make a lot of those repetitive tasks hard because a lot of the conversation is really, like we said, just communicate. Like, I get it, man. I need to come in and get an MRI or a CT. How come I can't see it? How come I don't know what the next thing is? Why do I need to call back three times just to get information? These are the things. Absolutely. Hey everyone, it's Michael here with your P3 Pro tip for the week. Are you unsure about what information to include in your procedure and service content? Think about what you discuss in the office with your patients. What do you have to break down and explain in more detail? What questions do they ask? How do you explain it to your patients when they're in front of you? The answers to those questions should help guide your website content. It's not about getting into all of the technical details so that you completely exhaust the subject. It's about breaking it down so that a patient understands your approach to the procedure and feels comfortable about moving forward. If you think back on your recent conversations with patients, they probably weren't asking how you were going to make the cuts and all of the surgical instruments you will use. More likely, they want to know about how they will benefit and how you will take care of them after surgery. Think of your website content as a place to reiterate and expand those conversations, and then you'll be in a great place. Yeah, so if you're just joining us, this is the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare. I'm Michael Robertson, talking here with Scott Seitzer. We're talking about just adapting to consumerization in healthcare. It is here, it is happening. And I, I really wanted to kind of dig in on some of these specific points around, I guess, what is what does consumerization mean today in the middle of everything going on with COVID-19, in the middle of so many consumer-facing services just can, getting more and more convenient all the way through. It is interesting because like we're, we're talking sort of that fair or unfair comparison that people make sure. with something like healthcare and, and Amazon. You know, there are still so many businesses other than healthcare that require some sort of diagnosis process, right? Like there are other industries that do require custom work every single time that people can look to and can learn from. You know, like what are those other things? Like, are there architects who are are doing a great job of communicating? Are there lawyers who are doing a great job of communicating? Are there, you know, all these different kinds of industries that have still found a way to be very personalized and very attentive along each step of the way? We've talked to some people on the show here before, and we've talked to Ira around, uh, Ira Kirschenbaum around how he's organized the clinic going to get a chance to talk to him again coming up for our hundredth episode 100 coming up on on a lot of episodes but but you know getting the chance to see like hey this is how physicians are are already doing this they are already adapting to these kinds of things there are people that do excel at making this kind of stuff happen but it, it is so intentional when they excel at it 
Cool. Dr. Green, Dr. Smith, who works in pediatrics, like these physicians that we've talked to that that truly excel. It's not something where somebody gave them the existing system where it was already flawless and all they had to do was go and implement that. Yeah. They each made choices to intentionally go out of their way to make this more convenient. This is this thing where I, I say it over and over, like you got to slow down enough to do a better job. So if all you're doing is coming you know, into the hospital at the crack of dawn, rounding on your patients, doing your surgery, going to clinic, and then at the end of the day going, I don't understand why I'm not, why people are actually mad at me, why I'm not making as much money as I should. All those things happen, right? And I go down to slow down. And, and, and I think what I want to do is like, instead of making it so negative, why don't we talk a little bit about how it can help a practice financially? Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, this can be a very trying thing if it comes from the sense of like, I'm just not enough. I'm not right. getting enough things done. I'm like, here's five more things I have to add to my day. I'll definitely say that like in Dr. Kirschenbaum's uh, experience in particular, it's not him, just him. Right. No, it's this whole team. Yeah. It really it's, is like this, yeah. this team coming together. So like in terms of like who's responsible for it, how does this thing actually happen? Like all of that kind of stuff. I, I do want to like really emphasize that it's whole clinic, a whole practice kind of shift in mentality, not just work harder, doc. Good luck. You know, good. Yeah, absolutely important point to make here. Whatever the plan is that you come up with, it's got to be done as a team. There's an office manager in there who probably has a lot of ideas. And, you know, there's a group of MAs and PAs and, and everybody else on the team. And, you know, you got to get that group together, whoever you trust in that room together, maybe for dinner, maybe like just block out an extra hour. I get it. It's costly to say, I'm not going to, I'm going to run clinic for one hour less this whole week. You know, man, that's a lot less patients to see, but maybe because you do that, you actually come up with a system as you see so many more patients. Uh, and, and that's what I mean about like, I, I think, Michael, I couldn't agree more. It's like it, if only you come up with the plan and you don't tell anybody else destined for failure. So let's talk a little bit about consumerization and what it can mean to a practice financially. There are challenges. We've been talking about that. But I think that practices that embrace consumerization may be more likely to grow and make more money. This goes back to that, you know, uh, volume versus value conversation I keep bringing up. There was a recent article in Medical Economics that explains how embracing the consumerization of medicine could affect a practice's bottom line in a positive way. There we go. And uh, when consumers purchase goods and services, they know the pricing up front. Mm, yeah, not in medicine. This is not the case with healthcare. Patients usually don't know the cost of the service until they get the bill. And it may affect the practice's ability to get paid. Uh, this is something that has been talked about quite a bit in the newspapers and et cetera, et cetera. Sure. The article quoted a survey that found that when patients are given a cost estimate at the time of service, 65% said they were more willing to at least make a partial payment. Now, it's a really touchy conversation here because a lot of that, you know, in that specific thing, I think a lot of practices. I remember we were talking to an office manager, Terry, up in uh, Ridgewood. You know, she would love to tell you what the price is if she could ever figure it out herself because she deals with so many different, you know, insurance companies and just trying to figure out how to get something approved, let alone what the cost is. But it's an important point. If you can try to get some real, if you could try to understand the system better and, and work with your, your billing team, I think that's helpful. On the other hand, when the bill ends up being higher than they thought it should be, patients 
understandably get upset. And in these cases, most patients don't pay anything. And then, of course, they diss you, you know, online. <laughs> I do think like that's just one little subsection there, Michael, where consumerization can get messy. The billing process is so dissimilar, as so many other things are, that these are one of those things that really need to be looked upon about how do you ameliorate that? I don't think you're ever wipe yeah. it out, but how yeah. do you ameliorate it? Yeah, there's so much around like there's been this big push for pricing transparency. No doubt. And then there's been these like ridiculous ways that hospitals are getting around it, right? Like, yes, there is a page on my website where it has it. And it's just literally just a block of text with yeah. numbers. And it's not in any sort of chart. It's just, you know, as, as difficult as it can be. And, you know, it's interesting, some of the different guests that we've had on, there's a lot of different folks that we've connected with on LinkedIn through all this, through this nearly 100 episodes that we've recorded. But some of them really go to task on a lot of these organizations that list their prices that way. You know, if you're going to make it as hard as it possibly can be for us to understand what pricing is, they, they really dig in and go like, look, here's the range of prices for this particular joint replacement or this particular procedure or this, you know, whatever it may be. And so obviously that's, that's a big, hard challenge and nobody's solving that problem today. That's a lot of legislation that's involved. That's all that kind of stuff. There, there are so many pieces to that, but there is obviously a hunger to have more transparency. That's the key. It's like people want to know more. So like ways of, of going after that, like we've got people that we work with that are more about cash pay for their procedures and like yeah. orthopedic surgeons. Concierge not just, style medicine. Yes, absolutely. Right. It's, it's not just like, oh, that's, you know, something just for pain management or something. It's like, no, here's, here are people that are doing that. And I get that it's not for everybody and all that kind of stuff, but like acknowledging that people are trying to understand costs they're willing to talk about it. They're willing to acknowledge it. But yeah, it, it's big and it's hard and it's messy. I mean, sometimes like I feel like every time I, one of my kids ends up going to the doctor, it's like a, it's like taking the van and, you know, you get some kind of service repair. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be at least a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> like, it's like every time the van has to go in the shop, I'm like, yep, there's a couple hundred bucks at least. I'm just hoping it's that, you know? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of this has the opacity conversation and difficulty it's not, a, sometimes it's it's just going to be too much for the doc to go, like, it's, it's not the surgeon's responsibility to sit there trying to figure out what, a, what every procedure he does. But, you know, an 80-20 rule might be helpful. You know, if he's doing a particular procedure more often than not at two or three different hospitals, maybe taking the time to go figure out just about on average what it costs for your, you know, for your uh, top tier so you could have a better conversation. What if part of the conversation when you're talking to the patient is, hey, you know, we could do the surgery at A hospital or B hospital. And from what I understand, and you should, and we can confirm this or, or you can confirm this, it's cheaper to get the procedure done at this hospital or at the ambulatory surgical center, et cetera. I think at least being aware somewhat of what some of these costs could be, would yeah. be helpful. But I'm telling you for all the patients listening in, surgeons would love to know what some of these prices are and it is a maze out there and and it's it's a hard one to overcome it really is yeah and as we're talking through all this like to kind of put this in in perspective i mean look scott and i are not economists and i'm Ooh. very happy to not have that job i i had to take a few courses in it and uh it was not not my favorite coursework that we had to do but here's why we're bringing it up here's why we're we're tying it into this episode and and why it does affect 
more than just the billing department, you know, for your practice and, and for your hospital. Like, you know, another study from medical economics found that a positive patient experience is, in, is associated with increased profitability, while a negative patient experience tends to have the opposite effect. And this is something we talk about with the way that like people leave reviews, Scott, like as we've got different customers that are working with reputation marketing and, and, you know, helping solicit reviews from their patients and, and going through all that, ex- that experience, like the more opacity and the more surprises there are, yep. the harder it's going to make it on the patient, the more likely that that patient's going to leave a negative review, all of those kinds of things. So like, yes, it is a billing problem. Yes, it is a financial issue. Yes, it is an economic thing. But also, it's a marketing thing because consumer experience, patient experience, all these kinds of things are the way that the practice is perceived. We talk a lot about word of mouth and what that means for a practice nowadays and like how that that shows up now. You know, it shows up in reviews. It shows up in the way that people are talking about you on Facebook and, and, and the ways that all these kinds of things. So like there is this component where the more that practices can be aware of this and communicate around this, even if it's something as simple as here's what to ask your insurance. I've definitely had that experience before where maybe the practice couldn't answer the question, but they could give us the right questions to go ask our insurance. And so we at least understood, hey, the dynamics here are this company is the one that's, that's kind of gating the way here. So can we at least get answers from somebody? But that extra step of being helpful made a world of difference in our experience with the practice. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I go back to like over-communicate, over-communicate. And some of these issues are not going to be tackled alone. You know, they really aren't. My takeaway for everybody listening, if you're trying to run a practice, really would be you're answering the same questions over and over a lot of times, and they have nothing to do with the procedure start collecting that, start putting that somewhere, whether that's, and when I mean that somewhere, I don't mean just on your website, because I know, you know, we're the online guys. I get it. Yes. Your website, Facebook, et cetera. I also mean, start instructing your team. Like Mm -hmm. these questions are being asked all the time. I'm now going to go over how to answer those questions. So it's not just me, right? So it's not just a technology issue being kind. Technology can certainly help you communicate. It certainly can, but you have to slow down enough to figure out like what we're going to over communicate a bit. Yeah. And going back to like pulling the right people. I don't think we can stress that enough. Like, yeah, the more that it's, you know, including the practice administrator, the the people at the front desk, all of those different folks, like tying those bits of information together is going to make a really big difference because again, how your word of how the word of mouth about the practice is shaped includes all those people. It so the more mean. that the more that they have buy-in and see the opportunity to contribute here, it's definitely going to matter. So all the way through this, you know, we're talking about positive patient care experiences. Like it works in your practice's favor. We're talking about word of mouth. We're talking about financially. We're talking about a lot of different things that that go into this. But you know, working to create efficient quality care experiences and sometimes. You're really going overboard on compassion wherever you can creates word of mouth and creates patients that are, that are willing to stick with you. Thank you so much for listening today. This is, you know, Scott Seitzer and I'm Michael Roberts. Please feel free to reach out and connect to us on LinkedIn, um, different ways to connect with us around the show. It's definitely been a pleasure to get to know folks from the show and guests and all of that good stuff along the way. So as always, we appreciate you listening and, and wish you a great week. 
Thanks again for tuning in to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare. This program is brought to you by Health Connective, custom marketing solutions for medtech and pharma. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.